0: It is an honor and a delight to be with you this morning, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this hour. I think you will enjoy it. I think it will be interesting to you. We want to talk about, on the topic of God's promise to the Jewish people, um, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to present the gospel from the Old Testament. Now we're going to do two things in the, in the next period of time. Um, we're going to, uh, the first thing is that I'm going to tell you a story true story of a lady named Elizavieta. Elisabetta, actually that would be Elizabeth in English, uh, but her name is she was, uh, She's an elderly Russian Jewish lady. Um, and so I'm going to tell you the, the true story of Elisabetta, but also in the context of that, I'm going to give you a plan that you can use to take the, 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 the Tanakh, the Old Testament scriptures, and and present the gospel to the Jewish people. Now, generally speaking, when we get around to presenting the gospel, we use the New Testament. A lot of times we'll go to John 3.16. A lot of times we'll go to the Romans Road, and those are excellent resources, excellent passages of scripture that we're able to use. But the Jewish people, if you go and say, let me tell you about the Romans Road, they're like, we don't like Paul and we don't like the New Testament. like, oh. Well, that's that's difficult, and so they don't accept any of that as being true or authoritative, and so it makes it difficult to use that in witnessing. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean you can't use it, but if you're able to use the Old Testament scriptures to bring them to Christ, that's better yet. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to show you how to do that. So it's kind of like we're going to be telling a story and showing you a way of using the Old Testament scriptures. to to present the gospel. And I I hope that you will find that beneficial. Now, before we even get into that, I need to say this. I'm going to give you this plan. This plan, it's good. It works. I've led several Jewish people to the Lord using this plan, okay? Having said that, you don't lead with this, okay? Because when, when you first meet that Jewish person, you say, sit down. I want to go through all these scriptures and explain the gospel to you. They're going to say, No, not interested, leave me alone, you weirdo, okay? Their their heart is not open, they're not ready to receive it, and so they're not going to do it. And so how do I, you say, well, if their heart's not open, if they're not willing to receive the gospel, then there's just nothing we can do with them. Wrong, wrong, okay? So if somebody's heart is not open, then you need to open it. You say, well, how can I open their heart? And it's really simple. There are these four things that you've probably never heard of before, Uh, you love them, you pray for them, you regularly sow the word of God in their lives, and you do it with patience and perseverance. You don't quit, no matter what. And so it starts with this. So I I meet Truman, my, my Jewish co-worker, And I say, wow, we love the Jewish people. And he's like, really? And so we start having a conversation. And I begin to show love for him. I build a friendship with him. I be a friend to him, not just in having warm feelings to him, not just in saying, I like you, but in in actually being a friend toward him. Okay? And then I pray for him. I, I pray regularly and faithfully and passionately God change his heart. God save his soul. God open his eyes to see the gospel. And so I pray for him, and then regularly I'm sowing into his life, just a little bit here and a little bit there, seeds of the gospel that I'm, I'm planting in his life. Now, when I start out, he's closed and not interested, okay? But over a period of time, the love and the prayers and the word of God will soften and open his heart, and finally that will come to a day where he's like, okay, what... what why are you wanting to do this? What What are you wanting to say to me? Finally, I'm, okay, I'm, I'll give you a listen. And he's ready to listen. Then he's ready for what I'm going to present this morning. So when you meet a Jewish person, don't say, oh, you're Jewish, great, sit down. I'm going to run through this plan with you. No, no, no. You love them, you pray for them, you sow the word of God in their lives and, and you stay at it until the point where their heart is open and they're willing to receive it. And then you employ this plan that I'm about to give you today. Okay, so... Let's go to the next, uh, next slide. It says history of Israel. Let me explain how this all happened. I had moved. I'd been a missionary in Russia. Uh, I knew all about ministering to Russians. I knew very little about ministering to Jewish people. I had just moved to Israel. God called us to go to Israel. I moved to Israel, and I had a nickel's worth of knowledge about how to minister to Jewish people. But in our church, about 40% of the people in our church in Tel Aviv were Russian people. And Which worked for me. Uh, and so on Tuesday evenings, we would have a Russian evening Bible study. Uh, it was our midweek service for the Russian-speaking crowd. And all of the Russian people would gather together, and we'd gather in a big circle. And we would read the scriptures and study the Word of God together. And on this particular Tuesday night, the, the, the thing that we were studying was how to share the gospel with our loved ones. Because that's a little different than sharing it with a stranger. And so we were talking about that, and my dear wife who has a marvelous testimony of how she was the first in her family to come to Christ. But then through her witness, God, want, God ended up saving most of her family. Uh, just about everybody in her family got saved. And it took time and sometimes great hardship. And yet over the years, one by one, they came to Christ. And so she's giving her testimony. And I'm teaching about how to witness to our loved ones. And I look over and the, there's one of the ladies in the church. Her name was Olga. Olga. And Olga, I look over there, and there are tears running down Olga's face. And that's unusual, because Olga was not like the super emotional type. Olga, her, Olga's the kind of people that you want in your church preacher. She was always there. She's faithful. Anything needed to be done, she's ready to do it. Never complained. She was never the squeaky wheel. She was just the person that was always faithful, always there, always doing the right thing. And, and so Olga's over there, and she's weeping. And, and I said, Olga, what's wrong, sister? What's what, What's happening? And she said, Pastor, she said, my mother-in-law, she said, I've probably never spoken to, about her to you, but she lives in the home with my husband and I and our children, uh, and she's very old, and she's sick, and she doesn't have that long. She's going to die, and she's, she's lost. I've, I've tried and tried to tell her about Jesus. She won't listen to anything I have to say, and, and she's going to die, and she's going to go to hell, and, it, and my heart is broken for her. And she said, Pastor, would you be willing to come and visit my mother-in-law? I said, I would love to come and visit your mother-in-law. Of course I will come to visit your mother-in-law. What's her name? Her name is Elizabeth. And I said, I would love to. Would she be willing to visit with me? She said, I'll check. And so she went home and she said, said, Elizabeth, would you be willing, if Pastor came, would you be willing to talk to him? And I think that the whole thing was, the answer would have been no, except for that it... It was weird. It was an American who could speak to her in Russian. and She thought that would be entertaining. So she said yes. And so she agreed to to meet with me. And we set up a day to do it. Next week we're going to go and we're going to meet with Elizabeth. And then I started sweating. Because I was like, okay, now I'm used to witnessing to people from the New Testament. But now I have to do it from the Old Testament. And I saw, I had a couple of resources. I looked at them and I was like, yeah, I'm not really comfortable with this. It just doesn't really work for me. And so I'm praying about it, and I'm studying on it, and I'm racking my brain about what is the best way. Because, I see, look, I'm only going to get one opportunity. This lady's not going to listen to me twice. I'm going to get one shot to try to communicate the gospel to this lady. That's it. How can I communicate the gospel in a way that will be clear and understandable, will work for her? And I'm praying about this, and I don't know about you, but sometimes as I'm praying... Ideas will pop into my head, and I have a suspicion that they're not mine. Um, Anyway, so I was praying about it, and suddenly this idea popped into my head. Maybe I should look in the book of Acts and see how the apostles witnessed to Jewish people. Oh, that's an interesting idea, and so I grabbed my, my, my Bible, and I began to flip through Acts, and I began to read the book of Acts, and I love Acts. Acts is fun. Um, I like narrative. I like stories, and so Acts is fun because it's a narrative, and, and so you read these stories, and they're very interesting stories as you're reading about how the church is growing and everything in Acts, but did you ever notice in the book of Acts that there are certain chapters that are twice as long as all the other chapters? I mean, they're like, I don't know, 80 verses long all of a sudden, you know, and I'm doing my morning Bible reading. I've got, you know, X number of minutes set aside for Bible reading, and I get to that chapter, and I'm like, oh boy, this one's twice as long. What am I going to do with this? Uh, and, and, and then I'm reading it, and I shouldn't confess to this, but I'm like, okay, come on, why do we have to do this? Because what it's doing, it's recounting a sermon that, that Paul or Peter or somebody preached— And it's saying, and there was Abraham, and then there was Moses, and then there was... And it's just telling the history of Israel. And and it's going through all this stuff that we already knew anyway, and so what's the point? And and so I'm like, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, can we get to the good part? That's kind of how I always would think about it. But now I'm looking back at Acts, and I'm saying, this is really interesting. I keep seeing that when the apostles preach to the Jewish people, they often start with the history of Israel. Why would that be? I've never thought about that before and i'll give you two reasons okay if i come to my jewish co-worker truman and i say let me tell you about jesus he's going to say stop not interested i'm jewish leave me alone but if i come to my co-worker truman and say let me tell you about moses he's gonna okay let's talk about moses that's our guy we like moses see if I start with Jesus, it's going to close him down. If I start with Abraham or Moses, he's going to be glad to talk about it. But it's not just that I'm trying to make him happy, okay? The other thing is, is that the history of Israel is like an eight-lane highway that goes straight to Jesus, okay? So all I have to do is say, hey, let's get on this highway and talk about the history of Israel. And, and I'll grab him by hand, get on that highway, and pew, we're going right to it. We're going to go right to Messiah, Okay, because that's where the history of Israel goes. And so I'm going to start with the history of Israel. Now, this, this plan I'm going to give you today has three parts. History of Israel, the promise of the new covenant, and the prophecies of the Messiah. I'm going to say that again. You should listen carefully. It starts with the history of Israel, the promise of the new covenant, the prophecies of the Messiah. Good. Now, boys and girls, let's all say that together. The history of Israel... Excuse me. You can do better than that. Kindergartners do better than that. Let's get on it. Okay, the history of Israel, the promise of the new covenant, the prophecies of the Messiah. Those three parts. Those are the parts. So I was praying, and God gave me this plan. And so uh, finally, the day came. Ron and I got in the car. We drove over to their house, and and we go up into the apartment, and it was. It was kind of sad. They live like on the sixth, fifth or sixth floor of this apartment building and we get in the apartment and the whole extended family's living there. So it's like really, it's a small apartment and there's a lot of people and there's a lot of stuff and it was very cramped and crowded and we're edging our way into the apartment. And, and, and then we go to sit in the kitchen, okay, which the kitchen was, the size of a cardboard box, and, uh, and there's like this little table with a bench behind it and a couple of stools on the other side, and so Ron and I scooched in behind, and we sat on the bench, and then Olga sat at the end of the table, and then Elizaveta her mother-in-law, made a grand entrance. She put on her finery, which was sad, uh, she had these old clothes that apparently probably 40 years ago had been beautiful. And and she came in as though she were the Queen of England. She sat down regally and she said, you may speak. And it was funny, okay? Uh, she looked like she was 140 years old. Uh, she was this old elderly lady and she was putting on all these airs and it was kind of funny and everything. Anyway, so we chatted for a few months. Hi, my name is Sam. Good nice to meet you. La, 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 la. And, and we did a little chit chat and I said, well, listen, uh, Elizabeth, would you mind if we looked into the word of God a little bit? And she said, no, I understood that that's why you came. And I said, yes, it is. And I said, okay, so let us begin. And I opened up my Bible to Genesis chapter one. And I said, in the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And she was surprised because she didn't realize we were going to be starting at that point. And she said, oh, well, yes, I, I, I've heard that that's the case. I, I, think, that's, I think that's right. She said, I, I think I agree with that. And I said, yeah, because in Genesis 1-1, it says God created the heavens and the earth, and he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and everything was perfect. And she said, yes. And I said, but not for long. Because if you turn the page, we get to Genesis chapter 3, and we see the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, God gave man one commandment, just one, and he blew it. And man fell into sin. Okay? And when he did, it was catastrophic. Man falls into sin, and the wheels come off, and the world descends into great darkness. I said, you know what? Sin came into the world, and death by sin. And then and, and death came upon all men. And I did not mention to her that I was paraphrasing Romans 5.12. Um, but I said, and, and you can see it everywhere you go. The world is a train wreck. I said, look, you know, you turn on the television and what do you see? You see immorality, you see war, you see conflict, you see hatred. I said, you read the paper, you see the same things. You look out the door and this, you look out the window at the street and you see people taking advantage of each other and treating each other poorly. Even in our own homes, that's true. And when I look in the mirror, I see all sorts of failure and sin. I said, everywhere we look, the world is a disaster. And she said, you ain't just kidding. It sure is. It's horrible. She was right about that. And I said, now God could have looked down on humanity, on you and I. And he could have said, like, fine. If you want to sin... If you want to break my commandments, if you want to turn your back on me and walk away, fine, you just go ahead and go that way and perish and die and go to hell. You go right ahead. God could have done that. But that's not who our God is. Our God did, and to me, this like, most amazing thing in the entire universe is the next thing I'm going to say. That a holy God looked down at broken, sinful man And his heart just swelled with love for us. I don't understand it. I question whether it's good judgment. But boy, am I glad. God loved sinners. I can't explain it. Don't understand it. But it's wonderful that he does. And God said, I'm going to make a way to reconcile man back to me. Make a way that he can be forgiven, that he can come home to God. And God decided to do that using one man to start the process. And I flipped over to Genesis chapter 12, and I read, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house." unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless him that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. We could park there and talk for a long time, but we're not going to. I said God called Abraham because he decided that he would enact his plan of salvation to redeem man through one man, through Abraham, through his descendants, the people of Israel. Now, how many of you think that Elizabeth is offended at this point? No, she's not offended at all. Okay, I'm praising Abraham and the Jewish people, and she's liking this. She, she's liking this story. This is a good story. And I said, but you know what? God chose Abraham, and he chose the Jewish people. But that doesn't mean things just went great, because if we read just a few chapters further on, we get into the book of Exodus, you know what we find out is that they go down into the land of Egypt, and they are enslaved by Pharaoh, and they become slaves, and they are horribly treated. The Egyptians enslaved them, they abused them. And then Pharaoh decides to wipe them out, to commit genocide and wipe out the Jewish people. Folks, if you kill all the little boys in a generation, there would be no Jewish people left. And so so Pharaoh decides to commit genocide and wipe out the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, they cry out to God and they say, oh God, God, you've got to help us. And God sent a deliverer. God sent Moshe, Moses, for you Americans. Uh, God sends Moses, and Moses comes, and he walks into the throne room of Pharaoh, and he says, Thus saith the Lord God, let my people go. And Pharaoh, in his arrogance, he looks at Moses and he says, I know not the Lord, neither will I let the people go. And God says, Want to bet? (laughs) And God comes after Pharaoh with a stick. Ten devastating plagues rain down on the people of Egypt. Egypt is laid to the ground, devastated, ruined, as God brings plague after plague after plague. And the tenth of the plagues was the death of the firstborn. We will talk more about that this evening. You're not going to want to miss that. The, and the tenth of the plague was the death of the firstborn. And, the, 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 and God came through the land and the firstborn of every home, unless there was blood on the doorposts, perished. And Pharaoh finally said, get out, get out, get out of our country, leave us alone, leave us. And the people of Israel left Egypt, free at last. They went out, they crossed across to the, to, the, to the Red Sea and then Pharaoh changes his mind and he comes after him with the army and now Israel is caught between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army and they're doomed but they're not doomed because God opens the sea and the people of Israel cross on dry ground and then Pharaoh says, we can do the same thing and his army goes down into the sea, God closes the sea and that is the end of Pharaoh's army. And the people of Israel say, hallelujah. And they have a party. They dance and they sing and they praise God. And then they walk down through the desert and they get to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up to the mountain and God gives him the law. I make a specific point of saying that the law was, was carved by the finger of God on tables of stone. That's important. That God carved it out on, and he gave them the law. And then Moses took it back to the people and he said, this is the law of God. And the peoples made a covenant with God. That's an important point. The people made a covenant with God. They said, and all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And they made a covenant to obey God's law. And so, by the way, that's the end of the history part. We've done part one. Remember the three parts? History of Israel, promise of the new covenant, prophecy of the Messiah. We're done with the first one. Okay, we're not gonna go any further. We could go, we're not gonna go any further. And, and I got to that point. By the way, the story I'm telling you like, oh, you guys in the front row, you, I didn't tell you anything you didn't already know. You know the story. You probably know it as well as I do. You could tell this story about the history of Israel from the beginning to, the, to Mount Sinai, just like I could, okay? And so, so it's nothing complicated, just telling the story of Israel and bringing them to the point where they've made a covenant with God. And then I asked a question. Have I mentioned that I like to use questions? And I said, Elizabeth, you have to tell me, did the people of Israel keep the covenant that they made with God? Did they obey God's law? Question number one. And she's sitting there. She's, she said, no, they didn't. And she said in such a way that it inferred clearly, they weren't very good people. They were bad. They, they broke the law of God. Jewish people know that, the, that, that they made a covenant and they know that they broke the law of God. And I said, that's right. They did break the law of God. And question one was to set up question two. And then I said, Elizabeth have you kept God's covenant? Have you obeyed the law of God? And she said, yes, I'm a good person. And I said, I don't have any doubts that you're a good person. I might have been stretching it a little bit there. Uh, I said, I don't have any doubts that you're a good person, but I didn't ask are you a good person? I asked, have you obeyed the law of God? Have you kept his covenant? And she said, yes, I try to keep his law. And I said, oh, I'm confident that you try to keep his law. But I didn't ask if you try to keep his law. I asked, have you obeyed the commandments of God? Have you kept the covenant? And she wiggled and she squirmed and she fought and she tried to get around the question every way she could. And I was relentless. I would not let her away. I kept coming back and saying, but have you kept the covenant? Have you obeyed the commandments of God? And finally and I wouldn't let her out any other way, she literally dropped her head and she said, no, I have broken the commandments of God. And I said, yes, you have. You have broken the covenant of your people with God. And by the way, so have the rest of us. Okay, we're all sinners. Jewish people very frequently don't want to admit to being sinners. They very frequently have a concept that sin is things like, rape, murder, kidnapping. We would never do that. We're we're righteous people, not like those crazy Gentiles who go around murdering people all the time, okay? They a lot of times have a thought like that in their mind, okay? They don't look on sin a lot of times the way we do. If you don't come to a place where you recognize that you have sinned against a holy God, you cannot be saved. She had to come to that place of saying, I have broken God's commandments. I have broken the covenant with God. And I said, yes, you have. And it's a terrifying thing. But I've got really good news to you, for you because God has promised a new covenant. And that's what, this part two, the promise of the new covenant. And now I said to her, I said, now, Elizabeth, have you ever heard of the new covenant? And she said, no, I've, I've never heard of the new covenant. One of the most famous of all the rabbis and in his points of the main beliefs of Judaism, One of the main points of the beliefs of Judaism, he writes, is that there is no new covenant. Okay, but the Bible says that it is. And I encourage you to open your Bibles right now to Jeremiah 31.31. Go to Jeremiah 31. This is just a marvelous place in the scripture, and you've got to see it. Uh, And it's easy to remember because it's 31.31, so that kind of makes it easier. Uh, In Jeremiah 31.31, we see the promise of the new covenant. And and so I took her there. Now, before we read it, I say to her, look, I'm not reading to you from the Christian Bible. I'm not reading to you from the the Brit HaDashah, the New Testament. This is not something that was written by Christians. This is part of the Jewish Bible. It's part of the Tanakh. It's the same Tanakh that they use at the synagogue down the street. And she said, okay, this is the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah. This is your prophet writing, Okay. What does it say? Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, And will be their God, and they shall be my people. I said, Elizabeth, have you ever heard those verses before? And she said, No, I've never heard that before. That's not surprising. You can't hardly find a rabbi that's ever read the prophets before. And I said, But but they're right there. You can read them right in black and white in your Bible. And she said, Yeah, they're they're right here. And I said, Let's go back through that and see what those say. First of all, what does God promise that He's gonna do? What is the promise of God in verse 31? He said, I, that I will make a new covenant. God promises a new covenant. Okay, that's pretty cool. That's a good thing. Now, we need, to, we need to go to the next point. Who is the covenant gonna be with? Is it a covenant for the goyim, for the Gentiles? No, because it says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This covenant specifically is for your people it's for the Jewish people. And so God promises a new covenant for the Jewish people. Now that leads us immediately to the question of, well, why in the world do we need a new covenant? And it explains that in the next verse. It says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. You remember, we just talked about that, how when God brought them out of Egypt, he made a covenant with your fathers. And he said, it's not going to be like that covenant, the covenant of the law that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai that Israel promised to follow. He said, it's not going to be like that one. Why not? Because the next words say, which my covenant they break. Why do we need a new covenant? Because you broke the old one. That's why you need a new one. You broke it. It doesn't work. It cannot save you because you broke it. Well, what's the new covenant going to be like? Oh, it's going to be wonderful. Verse 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. Do you remember the first covenant written by the finger of God on tablets of stone? That was cool. The new covenant, it's going to be written on our hearts. That's better yet. Yet. That's amazing. What else? What else does it say about it? And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It's about having a personal relationship with God. Jewish people don't really believe in the whole concept of a personal relationship with God. Does God love you? Well, you know, God loves everyone. He loves Israel. You know, I suppose I fit. But does God know you? Does God love you? They don't have a feeling that God knows them personally, that God loves them personally. But this says, you are going to be my people. And I'm going to be your God. It talks about a personal relationship. Let me show you what else. Down in verse 30, toward the end of 34, he says, I will will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. The first covenant, the covenant of law said this. Here are the laws. Obey them and live. Break them and die. That's what the first covenant said. And the new covenant says... There are the laws. You already broke them. So I'll forgive you. Which covenant do you want? Which covenant do we need? I don't need justice, I need mercy. God says this new covenant. It's a new covenant. It's with the Jewish people. Why? Because we broke the old one. What kind of covenant? It's going to be this wonderful covenant written in our hearts about a personal relationship that provides us with the forgiveness that we desperately need. That's wonderful. And the new covenant is all about the Messiah. It's all wrapped up in the Messiah. Okay? So, history of Israel up to the making of the covenant. And then we did the promise of the new covenant. We're done with that. And we say the new covenant is all about the Messiah. And that's how we segue into the third point, the prophecies of the Messiah. And then I'm gonna ask my favorite question that I like to ask people. I love to ask Jewish people this. I say, so tell me what does the Tanakh, what does the Jewish Bible say about the Jewish Messiah? Now that's really not a provocative question. I mean, it really absolutely is, but it sounds like a pretty perfectly legit question. I mean, Jewish people are supposed to be all about the Word of God, right? And they're all waiting for the Messiah all these thousands of years. So to ask them what their book says about their Messiah shouldn't really be a big deal. I've never yet met a Jewish person who can answer that question. They have no idea what the Tanakh says about... Now you think, that's weird, why wouldn't they? The reason that they wouldn't is that the Tanakh clearly says... That the, that, that the Messiah is Jesus. And no rabbi in his right mind is ever going to do a Bible study on what does the Jewish Bible say about the Jewish Messiah, because if he does, all of his people are going to quit the synagogue, walk down the street, and join a Baptist church, okay? Well, may, that's an overstatement, but, but seriously, it's not to, he's not going to do it. He'd be crazy to do it, because it's clear as day from the Tanakh who Messiah is. And so they're never going to do that. And So, so I love to say to them, so tell me, what does the jewish bible say about the jewish messiah and i get this answer i get that i say well in the tanakh it says um um uh, i don't know and i say would you like me to show you and they're like sure and i say let's open the scriptures and see what the jewish bible says about the jewish messiah now my friend Mark Oshman, he, he works at IBJ. he's a Jewish man. He knows over 100 prophecies that were made about Messiah fulfilled in Jesus. Okay, I have a little brochure on my table. I think there's some left that have like 54 different prophecies of Messiah. If you want it, you can grab one off my, off my table as long as they last. Um, but I'm kind of a simple guy, so like I just do five. Okay. So we won't do a hundred. We'll just do five. Okay. And besides that, preacher will throw me out if I try to do a hundred. So, so we'll just do five. Okay. And so five prophets, let's, let's do this. I'll say, let's start out. Let's really simple. First question. Okay. Number one, what does the Tanakh say about where is Messiah going to be born? Where will Messiah be born? And I opened my Bible up to Micah chapter five, verse two. And since I don't have my Bible up there, there we go. But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of the Out of thee thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Where's Messiah going to be born? Well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. It says that in the Jewish Bible. In Micah 5, 2, the prophet said, Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. So where's he going to be born? He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Pretty easy, pretty simple, easy peasy. Next one, how is he going to come? Now that's really an interesting question. How's he going to come? Because he could come in a lot of ways. I mean, we all know how Messiah came, but like, you know, he could have come in a spaceship. He could have, uh, God could have used Elijah's fiery chariot. He could have come down from heaven in a fiery chariot. He could have descended in a cloud. He could have been born as a baby in the royal palace of the emperor. There's a lot of possibilities. What does the Bible say? How is a Messiah going to be born? How is he going to come? And the answer is in Isaiah chapter 7. I don't know if you guys do a Christmas program, but if you did, you probably had a young person memorize and quote this verse. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give, the, give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It says in the Bible that Messiah is going to become, He is going to be born of a virgin. Well, that's fairly remarkable. Um, and so, so it says he's going to be born of a virgin. When will he come? Third prophecy, Daniel chapter nine. I'd like you to open to Daniel chapter 9. Um, in Daniel chapter 9, there is a prophecy called the prophecy of the 70 weeks, and it is amazing. Okay, I'm, it's incredible. It tells the time of the coming of the Lord. Now, somebody back there is going to say, hold it, Brother Wilson. No man knows the day or the hour. We're not talking about the, f- that, that verse is talking about the second coming. Daniel 9 is talking about the first coming. And God not only He never said we wouldn't know. In fact, he gave us the exact time of the first coming of the Lord. Daniel 9, written hundreds of years before Christ, told when the Messiah was going to come. Now, he didn't tell what century he was going to come in. He didn't tell what decade. He didn't tell what year. He didn't tell what month. He told what day. If you study Daniel 9, hundreds of years before Christ, God told us, The day when Messiah would come. It wasn't an accident when when Simeon was looking for the coming of the Lord. All you had to do was study Daniel chapter 9. It told exactly when he was coming. Okay. I don't have time to go into that with you tonight. But if you're interested, shoot me an email and I will send you back uh, uh, an excerpt from a commentary that lays it all out. And you can look at it and go, wow, this is crazy. Okay, so we don't have time to go into all the details and when you're witnessing, you don't want to go into all the details of it anyway. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to verse 26. Okay, in verse 26, it says this, Matthew 9:26. 26. After threescore and two day, two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then thereof, thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Okay, now, What we're going to do is we're going to pull three facts out of this verse. Okay, so you're looking at it. First thing, it says Messiah will be cut off. So fact number one, Messiah is going to come. I mean, he has to come because it's talking about him. And he's he's going to die, not for himself. Okay, so Messiah is going to come and he's going to die for somebody else. Okay, so Messiah is going to come and die. That's fact number one. Okay, fact number two we're going to see that it says and that the prince that shall come will destroy the city and the sanctuary okay so, so the second thing that we're going to see is that the city and the sanctuary are going to be destroyed now what city are we talking about it's got to be Jerusalem yeah this is the angel Gabriel talking to Daniel about what's going to happen to Daniel's people it has to be he's talking about the city means Jerusalem what is the sanctuary the temple yeah it's got to be the temple okay so what he's saying is look Messiah is going to come. Messiah is going to die. Jerusalem and the temple are going to be destroyed. Okay. When were Jerusalem and the temple destroyed? 70 AD. That's a historical fact that is widely known. Everybody knows. Okay. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. So if we're going to have to have Messiah come and die, and then see Jerusalem and the temple destroyed. This happened in 70 AD. He's going to have to come and die before 70 AD. Is that pretty simple? So when will Messiah come? He's got to come before 70 AD. Now, if you want to do the whole prophecy out, we can tell the day, but just go with before 70 AD. That will help. Okay, so he's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to come before 70 AD. Let's go to the next prophecy. Who will the Messiah be? Now, this is a contentious issue. Jewish people will tell you that the Messiah is not going to be God. They're like, no, 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 no. You Christians are polytheists. You believe in many gods. You believe in God, the Father, God, the Son, God. That's three gods, okay? But we Jews, we are monotheists. We believe in one God, just one, one, see, one. And he's up there. And so if he's up there, then he's not down here. So God is there. Messiah is different. So Messiah can't be God. That's how Jewish people think. Okay, so who's the Messiah? Well, he's going to be a great leader like, like Moses or like David. Okay, so they say he is not going to be God. He's going to be just a great leader. And I'm like, well, does that agree with what your Tanakh says? Look again at Isaiah 7:14. It says his name shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And so it says that Messiah is going to be God with us. He's going to be God. Now, I think that's pretty good evidence. But one time I had a Jewish person say to me, well, hold it. I know a guy down the street named Emmanuel. He's not God. I go, so you're not convinced by Isaiah 7, 14? He said, no, I'm not. I said, well, then turn the page. Let's look at the next page because Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 also speak to the same thing because it says here in Isaiah chapter 9, help if I can find Isaiah chapter 9, It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be up on his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It says here that that this child that is going to be born is going to be called the Mighty God. He is going to be God in the flesh. So contrary to what, what the Jewish people believe, The Messiah is going to be just a great leader, the Jewish Bible says he's going to be called the mighty God, that he's going to be God with us, that he's going to be God in the flesh, which leads us then to the next question. What is Messiah going to do? And we'll go to Isaiah chapter 53. Some of you have been waiting for me to get to Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 tells about, now you could read the whole chapter. The whole chapter is good. We'll just start in verse 3. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. What is Messiah going to do? He's going to suffer and die for the sins of his people. So we've covered five prophecies now. And I said, Elizabeth, I said, I've been here now for quite a long time. And we've, we've, we've talked about a lot of things. And I haven't ever once mentioned the New Testament. Now I have an opinion. I, I I have an opinion about who the Messiah is, who the Jewish Messiah is, but I'm not going to tell you. Even if you ask, I refuse. I, I will not tell you what I believe about the Jewish Messiah. I want you to tell me who the Messiah is. Based on the testimony of your Bible, of the Jewish Tanakh, who is the Messiah? Who is this one who was born in Bethlehem of a virgin? before 70 AD, who was God in the flesh, who suffered and died for the sins of his people? Who do you think that could have been? Folks, there's only one answer to that question. It's it's as obvious as it can be. It is, look, there are some theological questions in the Bible that you look at them and they're like, yeah, I think it's this, but it's really hard to say. This isn't one of them. This is as plain as day. I recently was talking to a Jewish man from South Africa. His name was Jeff. We went through, we spent three hours getting to this point, studying everything out in detail. And we got done sitting around the kitchen table. And I said, Jeff, what do you think? And he sat back in his chair and he excelled. He said, You have conclusively proven that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. And I looked at Elisaveta and I said, Elisaveta, tell me. Based on a testimony of your Jewish Tanakh, who is the Messiah? Who is this one who was born in Bethlehem of a virgin before 70 A.D., who was God in the flesh, who suffered and died for the sins of his people? Who do you think that could have been? She whispered. She said, Jesus is the Messiah. And I said, yes, he is. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Jewish Messiah. And by the way, now that she's professed Christ as Messiah, I'm fine with using the New Testament. I mean, at that point, I don't mind that at all. And I told her, I said, and he did exactly what the Tanakh said he would do. He was born of a virgin in Bethlehem before 70 AD. He lived a sinless life. And then he gave himself on a cross to pay for our sins. He shed his blood to pay for my sins and for yours. And the Bible tells us that if you're depending on your righteousness, on your religion, on your good works to get to heaven, you'll never make it. But if you will trust Christ, if you'll put your faith in him, if you'll receive him as your savior, that God will forgive you, give you eternal life, and make you his child. I said, Elizabeth, would you receive Jesus Christ as your savior? And she said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I was like, what? What? You just said that he's Messiah. And she said, well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? I'm like, well, yeah. And I said, if, if, if you can see that he's Messiah, why won't you receive him? She said, oh, I'm never going to receive him. Forget that. This is never going to happen. And I said, why not? She said, look, if I were to believe in Jesus, all my friends would hate me. My name would become a byword. People would spit when they saw me. I wouldn't be able, when I die, they wouldn't bury me in the Jewish graveyard. There's no way I'm going to receive him. Forget that. Not going to happen. I was amazed. I was amazed. She could see it. Clear as day in the Bible. She's like, no way. So I began to plead with her. I began to beg her. I, I said to her, I said, look, look, don't worry what man thinks about you. Worry about what God thinks about you. She was immovable. I said, Look, Elizabeth, life is short. And I didn't mention the fact that yours is really short, honey. Um, <laughs> I said, look, your time on this earth is so short and eternity goes on forever. Don't sacrifice your eternity just for the few days you have left on this earth. She wouldn't listen to me. I, I, I did everything. I, I prayed. Every, I, I, I talked everything I could talk and I, I ran out of things to say. Rhonda picked it up and Rhonda tried to persuade her. Olga picked it up. Olga tried. She wouldn't listen to any of us. And then I remembered something that I heard from an old soul winner many years ago. He said, if you get somebody right there to the threshold of salvation, but they won't step over, grab them by the hand and in prayer, drag them into the throne room of God. And so I said, Elizabeth, can I pray for you? And she said, well, yeah, that's okay. And before she finished saying that's okay, I was praying. <laughs> Lord, I come to you now and I pray for you. And I prayed one of those Baptist preacher prayers, you know, Genesis to, Genesis to Revelation covering sin and redemption and and salvation and the end times and sanctification. I mean, I prayed everything I knew. I got all done. I looked at her. I said, in Jesus' name, amen. I looked at her. I said, Elizabeth, last time, would you accept Christ? And she said, I didn't break into tears, but I felt like breaking into tears. You want to know one of the saddest sounds in the world? Shut my Bible. Well, I guess we're done. Didn't have anything else to say. I was sitting there at the table in that little cramped kitchen, and my briefcase was sitting right next to me, and I took my Bible, and I bent over to put my Bible down in my briefcase. And I began her, to hear her speaking in a low voice. Maybe it's because it was Russian and you know it's not my first language. Maybe because she was kind of mumbling. I don't know why. Do you ever have this experience where you could hear somebody talking but you couldn't really discern what they were saying? For a moment I thought maybe she was addressing me and I popped back up to hear what she was saying but then it was clear she wasn't talking to me. For an instant I thought maybe she was addressing Rhonda or Olga who were sitting next to me and then that wasn't it either. And then her words came into focus. And she was saying, Jesus, I've sinned. Please forgive me. And she was praying the sinner's prayer. And she got saved. And her life was beautifully transformed. I don't have time to go into the details, but it was wonderful how God changed her heart. And we set up a day for her to be baptized. And two days before the baptism, she was admitted to the hospital. And a few days later, she was transferred from the hospital to glory. And she beat us all there. There are a couple of things I, I, I need to say in conclusion. Number one, This plan of using the scriptures, you've got it in your notes to refer back to. This is a great plan for presenting the gospel to a Jewish person. Going through the history, bringing it to they made a covenant, but they broke the covenant. So you go into the new covenant. That God offered them a new covenant through Jesus, which leads us to the prophecies about Messiah, which leads them to a decision. Save that. Remember that. You're going to have a chance to use that. The thing I really want to say to you is this. Well, second thing I want to say. And then the third thing. The second thing I want to say is it may be that you here have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior just as has not had not. There's only one way of salvation. And if you haven't received Christ as Savior, I beg of you, do it today. Do it today. Now, here's the third thing, and and really, here's what I want to really emphasize. In the story I just told you, who is the hero of the story? Okay, let me give you a hint. It isn't me. Okay, well, the hero of the story has got to be Jesus, because he's the one who gave himself to pay for her sins. Humanly speaking, though, who is the hero of the story? The hero of the story is sitting at the end of the table. It's Olga. Olga, for 20 years, had loved her, had prayed for her, and had witnessed to her. Elizabetha wouldn't listen to her. In fact, terribly abused her. And yet Olga never stopped loving her and praying for her and preaching the gospel to her. The one who was most responsible for Elizabetha getting saved was Olga, humanly speaking. Olga's the one that did the work. I'm the one that came along and plucked the fruit. And folks, I want to say to you, my calling to you today is would you be like Olga? Would you be a person who will say, you know what? I'm going to go find a Jewish soul and I'm going to love them and I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to sow in their lives, and I'm going to patiently persevere for as long as it takes until they come to Jesus. With Olga, it took 20 years. Hopefully it won't take so long with the Jewish person you meet. Or maybe it take longer, I don't know. But that's the call. Would you go find one Jewish soul and tell God, when you send me that Jewish soul, I will love them, pray for them, sow, and I will never quit. That's, that's the invitation, that's the calling, Pastor.